Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's time for another show dedicated to the world of keto. Check out ketoreset.com for details about my New York Times bestselling book and send your questions to info at ketoreset.com. Hey, listeners, Brad Kearns here, joined by a very interesting athlete and keto enthusiast. It's Sydney Olson. How are you doing, Sydney? Good. Thanks so much for having me, Brad. Uh, your resume stands out in the pile, any pile, I would say, and your story is so fascinating. So I wanted to get you on the podcast. I know you're a big fan, and that's how we first got connected, that uh, you, you you hit us up, you like our stuff. Uh, the keto diet has uh, really helped um, your career and your health. So we are going to go to town and find out this amazing uh fascinating uh, career that you have and also the story of, of healing that involved ketogenic eating. So I guess we're going to call you a uh, professional parkour athlete and Hollywood stunt woman. Yes, that is what I am. <laughs> uh, so basically, um, I'll just give you a little background story on how I got into that and everything. Um, when I was a kid, I did gymnastics, but I had quit doing that when I was about 14 and just couldn't really find anything else that I enjoyed as much. And then um, as I was finishing up high school, I met some people that did parkour, and um, it just seemed super interesting to me because it was similar to gymnastics, and um, it gave me the same kind of feeling that I could get where I learn a new skill and that there's that sense of accomplishment there. So um, I started doing that for fun and um, basically just kind of dropped everything and focused on that for a while, and uh, then it became my career path. <laughs> so I started competing in all these competitions around the world and everything and just eventually learned how to make a career out of it by getting sponsorship money and um then i also started doing stunt work where sometimes i get to do like falling or fire or anything acrobatic which is just such a fascinating career and i'm just really happy i get to do it um yeah <laughs> yeah i don't think people realize uh when they're watching movies how much of that is stunt work and how incredibly uh, demanding the profession is when you're on the set. I mean, there's a lot of repetition to get the right shot and you're working, you're working quite hard out there and uh, there's got to be some element of uh, danger and safety concerns, right? Um, yes, there's always a little bit of danger in it. I've definitely had my fair share of injuries just with the parkour stuff mostly. Um, I feel like stunts, they have to be a little bit safer, but of course there's always that risk whenever you're doing anything. So um I think it's just, it's just a, such a weird career. You know, a lot of people, they, they don't really know what to expect when they hear that I'm a stunt woman. They're like, oh, wow, isn't that super dangerous? And actually, it's not. It doesn't have to be if you take the right precautions with everything. Yeah, I know some old-time stunt uh, people from, it was actually uh, a parent of my friends I grew up with. And, you know, they're discussing how, I mean, every shot in a movie is uh, rehearsed and orchestrated and measured, but um, you guys go to great lengths to, you know, check your equipment, the surface, the timing, doing things in slow motion. So um, it, you make it look, uh, you know, you make it look dangerous, but it's actually, you're, you're very competent and it's, it's, it's got a lot of athleticism to it. It's fascinating to kind of look out for that when you're watching a movie. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, I also, with the parkour stuff, I compete in a lot of different competitions around the world, like um, in China, in Santorini, Greece, and just the, the craziest places that I wouldn't probably get to go to without these competitions. Um, but actually, what got me on the ketogenic diet in the first place is such a really weird background story. <laughs> um, 
we have a really important competition every year in Santorini, Greece. It's kind of our biggest one in the sport right now. And this was my second time getting to go and compete in it. And obviously so excited to be there. It's just such a cool place to go. And um, two days before the competition, I ended up falling on my head. And it was the craziest thing because I didn't fall on my head doing a move or a parkour movement or anything. Basically, I landed on a mat and slipped and then fell on the staircase and then fell backwards six feet to my head. So that was a really bad thing to happen uh, two days before the competition. And even though I just sat there and I was trying to figure out a way to still compete because it was just so important to me, uh, they made me withdraw from the competition, which was actually great because I ended up dealing with post-concussion syndrome for such a long time. It ended up being a few months where I couldn't even train normally because I was so dizzy all the time and I would get these headaches every day and just really didn't know what to do. And uh, a friend of mine had recommended that I check out the ketogenic diet because apparently it had helped with brain injuries. And of course, I was all about that, but I didn't know whether or not it was going to help with my athleticism or anything because, you know, you, you're told your whole life that you need to eat carbohydrates and as, especially as an athlete, that it's so important to eat like that. So I just didn't know what to think of it. And so while I was healing, I decided, oh, yeah, I'll try the ketogenic diet. And within just two weeks, my headaches were gone and it just felt so much better. I had so much energy and the dizziness was starting to go away. I could do full twisting backflips again. I could do double folds, triple folds without feeling any dizziness whatsoever. And then it just kind of kept going from there because I was feeling so good. And I just kept with it for the past four months. It's been truly amazing. Wow. So it sounds like you adapted to it pretty quickly because you say within two weeks, your symptoms start to improve. So uh, I suppose you were already eating healthy and uh, quite a metabolically fit individual from from all your activities. Yeah, I would say um, for the most part, I was always eating pretty healthy. I had a very different sort of diet before then. I think I was doing more like a pescatarian route. So at the time, I wasn't even really eating meat. I was just eating fish and lots of vegetables and definitely more fruit in there and all that. But um, cutting out the carbs and limiting it to about 50 grams per day has actually just been super helpful. And like I said, I just have way more energy. My muscles usually recover faster. And yeah, it's just kind of crazy, actually. <laughs> well, you're doing a pretty uh, explosive sport and I'm sure getting some uh, bumps and bruises. So that anti-inflammatory effect of uh, being in that uh, strict keto state is uh, definitely relevant. Um, and I think with the uh, the post-concussion syndrome, we can speculate what was going on from the science. And we've heard Dr. Dom D'Agostino talk about this a lot, where you're, um, uh, you're getting more oxygen to your brain because ketones are a cleaner burning fuel than glucose. And by delivering more oxygen to your brain, uh, you're uh, easing some of those symptoms that you're experiencing after a concussion when the brain is swollen for you know weeks on end you, it takes a long time to recover even when you start to feel a little bit better and that's why just as an aside i'm, I'm glad those people pulled you out of the competition because you know a concussion is bad enough uh and you know it's a it's a challenge to your health but re returning to activity too soon is when you really get into um you know the potential for doing horrible damage i remember when i was in uh, high school i was um 
I, I, I got, uh, I got beat up on the streets in Hawaii because I mouthed off to somebody and, uh, got knocked out and had a pretty, uh, good quality, uh, whatever it was, grade two or grade three concussion. And a week later, I said, you know what? I feel fine now. I'm going to run a 10K in the heat and humidity of Hawaii. And so with the brain in that, uh, still inflamed and swollen state, what happens is if you elevate your body temperature a little bit in the post concussion recovery period, um, you're in big trouble because your brain's already swollen and pushing up against the side of your skull. So I made it a few miles and remember like these flashes of like laying down in the sprinklers and then someone coming by in a vehicle and picking me up and taking me to the finish line and back to my hotel room. So um, definitely that, you know, that rest period after is big. And so um, I, I, you know, this is, this is kind of, um, uh, an important topic to anyone who's who's got a, a a kid that's hurt their head in sports or, or had you know uh, an incident themselves. But in that aftermath of that bad injury in Greece, I mean, what was it like? You're uh, you're you're suffering pretty badly for uh, weeks on end. Yeah, so it's so funny because no one ever tells you what to do when you get a concussion, and I think it's probably just such an underrated topic to talk about in sports. And I just don't know why we don't know so much about it because. I mean, that happened to me. I got knocked out. I remember that part specifically. I don't remember anything about landing on the head or anything like that. But I just remember how it felt to get knocked out and having all these people surrounding me as I came to. And um, it was just such a weird state to be in because I didn't know what to expect or how to react in that situation. So all these people are asking me if I'm okay, And I'm just kind of laughing it off because... I don't even know what happened. And uh, then they pull me aside and they're asking me, oh, are you, are you okay? Do you need to go to the hospital? Does your head hurt? And I just didn't even know how to answer, but my head was throbbing. It was hurting so bad. And so when they finally took me to the hospital, it's over in Greece. So things are just kind of a lot different over there. And all they did for me was get x-rays. So they didn't even do a CAT scan or anything to see if I had a concussion. They just said, oh, there's no broken bones, you're okay. And if you want to compete, I think it's fine. And I, I knew that wasn't right. <laughs> but I, uh, I was talking to my physical therapist, because he was over there too. And he was strongly discouraging me from competing altogether. And he was like, No, we need someone to wake you up every two hours. It's really important. And I'm glad he was like that. And I just didn't really understand it at the time, and how big of a deal it is, because it is so no joke. And <laughs> I am so glad that I was able to take um, a week off after that. I didn't do anything for like a week. And even then being in Greece and being surrounded by that competition, because obviously I still wanted to go watch and just, there's just so much going on that it still can mess up, mess with your head. And you're just in this weird little thought. And um, then I had to fly back to Los Angeles and just for so, so long, I was just kind of suffering and, was starting to forget things. And I was just not like myself for quite a while after that. And I actually had to work maybe two weeks later. And I had to fly out to New Orleans and do um, NCIS New Orleans. I got to play like actually a little character, do a little stunt acting role. And uh, so that one, there was just a lot of running around and stuff. And even then I was still feeling super dizzy. And we had a competition shortly after that in uh, Sweden. And I went there and it was the same deal where I couldn't do as well as I wanted to because I was still in the state where every time I would do a flip, I'd get a little bit dizzy and it's hard to want to continue doing a full parkour run when you're feeling that dizziness and pain and all that. So, um, yeah, it was just, it was after that competition that my friend had told me about the ketogenic diet and I had heard of it before, but I, I just didn't know how good it was for your brain. And so I'm just so thankful for that friend for telling me all about that. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's crazy how it, 
quickly reverse all of those symptoms that I was having. Yeah, that's a little disturbing that here you are back in the States, and um, I don't know if you were uh, under direct care of a physician, maybe a little bit that's, um, you know, that might be, um, you know, your side of not making a, a appointment. But I think a lot of times uh, we fall through the cracks with conditions like these where we're just kind of left to our own devices and shaking off these headaches or trying to talk ourselves into heading back to work because work's so important. And, you know, we're, we're in a pretty vulnerable state. So mm-hmm. um, your your dietary transition came at the suggestion of a friend. Mm-hmm. And uh, how'd you do it? You just set your mind to it. It was that important. And you just cut out these foods and went right into keto. Yeah, it was. Um, it actually wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be to transition into it. Because what I did is I picked up a bunch of books and well-trusted ones for sure and just made sure that I was doing my right amount of research before just jumping into a diet because I'd also heard that there's definitely wrong ways to do it. So I just wanted to make sure I wasn't doing that and messing myself up more. So um, what I did is I actually, I did the, the I read the book that, oh my gosh, I'm drawing a blank for the, the 21-day reset. I think it was uh, Brad Kearns and Mark Sisson. It must yeah, have been. definitely that one. I don't know why I was drawing a blank. But <laughs> just nervous. Um, but anyway, I, I read that book as well. And it just totally speak, spoke to me on how to go about it. And um, then I just kind of made a meal plan for myself and what worked really well with me, with my training and everything. And just being able to transition into it was actually quite smooth. And I didn't have too many cravings or anything, maybe just like bread at the beginning, which was weird because I didn't really eat a whole lot of bread to begin with. So it's just kind of a mindset where you're like, okay, no, I need to stick with this. It's important. And obviously I just need to eat more of the right things rather than trying to focus on these cravings that I'm all having that I never even had before. No. Uh, so these headaches that you were having were just uh, kind of throughout the day intermittent, uh, were they, um, you know, painful, debilitating? And then how did they, how did you transition out of that to decoy yourself feeling, uh, you know, back to a hundred percent or better? So I would have them probably pretty intermittently. They'd kind of come and go throughout the day. Um, and whenever they would happen, I would have to kind of sit down and not do anything. So obviously that's not what you want in a normal lifestyle, let alone like as an athlete. So, Whenever those would happen, like having to sit down just kind of really sucked because, you know, I'm, I'm working, this is my job, and I have to make sure that I'm creating content all the time and doing all these things. So um, when I started the keto diet, I obviously made sure that I was still going about my normal activity, but I was doing a little bit less of it. So I wasn't like going full out training or anything like that. Um, I was just doing little bits at a time, probably only working out like an hour a day and just kind of taking it easy for the rest of the day. But um, yeah, with with all the the good fats and the lack of carbs and everything, just over about a week, I just kind of noticed like over time that those headaches weren't there anymore. They were just happening less frequently. And then I think, yeah, like about two weeks after starting the diet, that's when I sort of noticed that they were completely gone and I hadn't had one in a while. So yeah, it was it was kind of amazing. <laughs> wow, that's great. So back to this parkour as your profession, tell me about the, you're traveling around to these big competitions. You say there's some money available through through sponsors or perhaps the competition. And I also want to know, um, you know, what is, what is the training uh, protocol for these? I mean, you, you go and see your video and you're performing these absolutely amazing stunts, which require all kinds of athletic ability, especially the gymnastics and the explosiveness. But how do you get to that point? Are you hanging around the park all day, like the skateboarders (laughs) and learning new tricks or what? 
Well, actually, we have a gym um, here in L.A. called the Tempest Free Running Academy. And, uh, temp- oh, they have that YouTube video. Yeah. Uh, we'll put that in the in the show notes. But I love the music. And I saw that a couple years ago, and it was kind of my first exposure to parkour. And you got to go see that, listeners. Uh, so go search YouTube for Tempest Running Academy. Los Angeles, whatever, and you'll see these these people flying around the coolest gym of all time. <laughs> I want to take my kids there when they were little. Oh my gosh, you totally should! It's so great. I love I love the gym. We actually have three of them now. So um, there's one in Northridge. There's also one in the South Bay area, and now there's one near San Diego. So um, I, I normally train at the gym to kind of like perfect the skills and stuff, and then I can take them outside where it's a little bit more concrete and more seriously cemented. So if something goes wrong, then I'm definitely paying for it. But um, that's why you spend all this time in the gym kind of perfecting your skills. I also do like a lot of weightlifting and stuff to help with that explosive power. And um, yeah, just being able to get to that point, I think just over time was finding a challenge for myself to do every day and just working on you know, getting, getting better at the sport altogether. But <laughs> I just, I never, when I first started, I never really thought that it would get to this point where it was going to be my entire career. So that was definitely a surprise. <laughs> but I just I just really enjoy it. Yeah, you, you said you uh, dropped everything at that certain point. And so does that mean that you had some career ambitions or you just kind of went to the gym every day because you loved it and, and just got immersed <laughs> into the culture? Well, actually, so the longer version of that story is um, I was actually studying to become a nurse. I had um, already gotten my license to be a nursing assistant and I had been doing that for a couple of years. And then my boyfriend and I randomly decided to move to China and I just needed some change. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do the nursing thing anymore. It wasn't for me. And, and so, you know, here I am 20 years old and I'm like, I don't know what to do with my life. And that's not that big of a deal when you're 20, but for me, it sort of was because it wasn't where I thought I would be. So we moved to China for a year just for fun. And it was actually probably the smartest thing I ever did. Because you get to learn about another culture and you learn so much about yourself just being in that environment where you have to like learn how to speak a new language and learn all about this currency over there and just deal with people just differently, you know. So um, getting to do that was actually the deciding factor for me. I had more time to train, so I was doing that a lot. And then I had my first competition over China and I ended up taking second place overall and I was the only girl that competed and so I was competing against men and everything. So that was sort of the deciding factor for me that I wanted to pursue this professionally and that that there could be a future in it. And, um, we moved back to the States shortly after that with a full plan to move to Los Angeles. And when I went to this competition in Vancouver, I had met a couple friends, um, that live in LA that had told me about how I could get into stunts and also make, uh, free running a career and all that. So, Shortly after that, one of them flew me down to work on a music video. And then I just, after that, that's when I dropped everything and just moved down to LA and started to pursue it. And it was, it's been a struggle, but now it's kind of, I'm at a place where it's officially my career and I'm really happy with it. So I imagine you're doing um, uh, commercials where you're actually showing off parkour skills. And then the other work is sort of this um, stunt related where you're doing whatever the movie calls for that requires a, a fit, nimble person that's going to take, uh, take, take chances that an ordinary actress would not. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, a lot of the parkour stuff, like I said, that's probably what I get hired most for. And you're right, they're, they're mostly commercials and sometimes TV shows and stuff where I even get to kind of play myself or have like a, like a minor acting role, which is really cool. But then a lot of stunt stuff, I'm usually doubling some other actress. And um, actually, 
recently I worked on one that's going to come out at some point this month for Station 19. I'm not supposed to talk a lot about that, but um, Station 19 is a new show. And so that one is really interesting. I got to kind of drown, which is fun. <laughs> My favorite stunt that I've done so far was getting set on fire. Uh, <laughs> that one was just really threatening altogether. <laughs> and did you have to do some parkour to, to uh, extinguish the flames or something? <laughs> no, I just had to run into a swimming pool. I was given about, I think it was less than 10 seconds before it would actually do some damage. That's what they had said. So um, I I got to the pool in, I think, six seconds because it was just, it was a big fire. So, uh, yeah, basically the idea was they, they light me on fire, they call action, and I just run into a swimming pool. How fun. It was so fun. And we only had to do one take of it, which was so awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, that seems like a good idea to, to get that on the first take. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, so what about the competitions? How do those work? Um, you, you have a... Uh, uh, a gathering of people and you set up a course and is it judging or timed uh, completion or what? So there's two different routes to that. You can either do like the parkour speed course, which is obviously judged on time. And I don't compete in those as often as I do like the freestyle, but I will do them occasionally. Um, the freestyle one is where they set up a course and they're, they have judges that, do, that judge you on difficulty, execution, flow, and just like how well you move in general and like an overall impression sort of deal. And um, you start at the top of the course and you just make your way to the bottom doing your flips in whatever way you want to creatively move through the course. And then they, they judge all that afterwards. And, yeah, that's kind of how they figure out the winner. So, Oh, it's like the uh, Olympic uh, freestyle snowboard guys. So they're just hitting those ramps and launching themselves and going for their 1280s or whatever. Yeah, it's actually very similar to that. So do you think that the average person that has, has a little bit of interest, like can, can someone walk into Tempest Running Academy with a basic level of fitness? Maybe they're doing CrossFit or uh, I'm not going to say endurance athletes. You guys go, go listen to the other podcasts and, and keep going straight forward because, oh my gosh, I mean, I, I think you have to have some kind of baseline gymnastic ability or can you just uh, pick it up from zero and actually have an opportunity to do some fun stuff? I've actually met quite a few people that were able to pick it up from zero and having actually no athletic ability whatsoever um, and get pretty good at it. Um, we have classes at Tempest Freeriding Academy. So if you're ever interested in doing it, your first class is free if you live in the area. So that's pretty. But um, yeah, I think a lot of athletic people that do something like CrossFit or have some experience with some explosive sport do really well in it, actually, because um, most of the time when you're first learning it, you're learning all this super basic stuff, which is like vaulting and jumping from one thing to another, maybe a front flip or a back flip in there. But yeah, most of it, like when you start out with the absolute basic, it's actually pretty easy to learn from. So I think it's kind of pretty much for anybody. If you wanted to, you don't have to like get to the level that I'm at or become a professional or anything like that. If you wanted to just try it out, it's super fun. Okay. I want to learn the one where you just run up to a wall mm -hmm. and, and put your foot, you know, a few feet off the ground and launch and do that. Is it a backflip? I can't even figure out what's going on, but it looks, it looks so routine and, and simple and, and fun to do. Like, um, you just, you know what, you know what I mean? Like you're flipping backwards off the wall. Yeah. Like a wall flip. <laughs> A wall flip. Okay, thank you. And um, yeah. so, you know, after I saw your video, I, I w uh, ran over to a, a random wall the other day <laughs> and was going to, like, you know, just pantomime the, the act and, like, and figure out what to do. And I, I don't even know which way to, um, to launch my body. So this stuff is, like, it's so complex when you, when, you, when you actually physically try to do something close to it, but you guys make it look so, so breezy. It seems like, uh, seems like it would be fun to just 
learn the very basics. I don't know what a dive roll or the first thing you learn, and then you just keep uh, leveraging those skills. I mean, you said it right. It's it all comes from a basic movement. So before you would ever learn a wall flip, you'd learn how to do like a backward roll. And then I'd have you like do a backflip into a foam pit and drills that would lead up to that. And then um, eventually if you got your backflip on like flat ground, that's when we could talk about like doing a wall flip, which is a little bit more complex, but it's the same idea. Cause once you learn that super basic movement, it can actually transition to a lot of higher and more difficult movements. So that's, that's, what's really cool about it. And there's never like a highest to that. You can always keep going further. So that's what I love about the sport. Yeah. I guess the real, um, the, the, the real breakthrough point there is taking it from the gym out onto the concrete where I guess you'd have to have, you know, so much confidence that you, you can hit that backflip 20 times out of 20 before you even mess around outside of the gym. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's, I feel like it's really important to be able to be super confident with the movement and know that you're either going to land it or if you bail, you're not going to like completely mess yourself up. Um, I have so many experiences where I bailed, but I'm pretty good at falling. So, um, I, I, when I, whenever I'm taking a new move outside, I'm either pretty certain that I'm going to land it or pretty certain that I'm going to be a hundred percent. Okay. After I do the first one. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So tell me about the injury list. We had that, uh, that kind, kind of random accident as a report in Greece. Have you, have you been hurt like legitimately just from doing a trick or landing wrong or whatnot? Yeah, actually, um, I've had a couple fair shares of my injuries. Uh, the first really big one that I had, I broke my hand and um, that was actually in the gym. I was doing a round off double backflip and it was just more of a gymnastic sort of move. And um, I don't know, I just, I guess I got lost in the air, which was sort of, again, a freak thing because I had done so many of these throughout my life. So it's not something that was new to me, but um, sometimes you feel tired and stuff and you don't even, you're not even aware that you feel tired and then you keep pushing through and you shouldn't, but you know, you just feel fine. So you go for it. And, uh, so then basically I got lost in the air and just put my hand down where it shouldn't have been. So I broke every single finger on that hand and <laughs> had to get surgery and got a plate and screws and all that. So there's that one. Um, I would say the worst injury I have to date was when I partially tore my ACL. Um, and that was actually just a little over, um, maybe it was like eight months ago. It wasn't even that long ago, but, um, I was out for about three months because of that one. But, um, I think me being as young as I am, because I'm only 25, and um, I think my body's still pretty resilient, and I take decently good care of it. <laughs> I say decently. It's even better now because of the keto diet and everything, but um, <laughs> I think it just it tends to heal pretty quickly, so I was really lucky at that point, too, that I didn't fully tear the ACL. It was just one trick that I was doing outside, and um, I was pretty confident with it, and I don't know, I just landed just a little bit wrong. So in those situations, you're landing on super hard ground, and the landing's just a little bit off, and that's when things go wrong. So it's really important to be 100% with your movement and just know what you're doing and understand that there's still always that possibility. So you can never really get too comfortable with what you're doing. Well, that's interesting when you talked about that fatigue element coming into play with your hand accident, because uh, I think for every athlete... Um, there's a point, whether it's your training session, competition, whatever, where um, things are starting to uh, unravel and the, the fatigue of the muscles or mo most particularly the brain. And we've talked about the central governor theory in our books and a little bit on the podcast, which is the idea that um, the brain is the ultimate limiter of performance, not the muscle. So when you say that your legs are tired, it's really that your brain is tired of firing the neurons that pump the, that, that uh, control the muscles in your legs. And so um, it, and 
And the example to illustrate the central governor theory is if I, if I came and, and, and put a gun to your head, um, you'd run a marathon right now. You, the listener I'm talking about, or you'd, you'd ride your bicycle 50 miles, or you'd be able to do a backflip on the ground because of the, you know, tremendous motivator that, um, the life or death threat all of a sudden presents. So we kind of, um, we think about that a lot in, in sports of like, what's the point where, you know, you should push yourself to try one more execution of the trick? Or when do you have a signal that, hey, I'm getting a little tired, that last landing was a little ragged, and I'm going to I'm gonna wrap it up for today. And I'm, I'm guessing, just like in other sports, you know, your competitive streak where you want to, you know, nail things and make sure you own that trick before you head out to the concrete is going to possibly uh, trend you in the direction of uh, maybe overdoing it at times and increasing injury risk. Yeah, it's super interesting that you brought that up. And I think it's such an important topic to discuss that your brain is all into this. And it's not even necessarily about whether or not your muscles are tired. It's literally your brain. So um, I didn't know that for the longest time and didn't really understand how that worked. And therefore, I would get injured quite a bit. But um, as of lately, I'm really trying not to do that. And I'm trying to be a better me and a better athlete altogether, because at this point, being 25, like I said, it's young, but it's also kind of old to be a professional athlete. So you're going through all these injuries and like your joints aren't as good as it used to be and all that. So I'm trying right now to really go for longevity and whenever I feel a little bit tired, I'm going to be aware of that. And so if that means that I can't go on for the day or I'm not going to do that certain trip I want to do that day. And I just need to understand that I can do it the next day or the next time I feel better. It's not so much right now. It's like you said, it's running a marathon. It's not a sprint. So, you know, whatever needs to be done can be done another day if you're not feeling 100%. Uh, so, Ed, you know, here you are representing the, um, the the younger age group. I don't know what the, the term is. I mix them all up. There's the millennials. There's the Generation Xers. I don't know. But um, for uh, for you, what do you see as far as the the low-carb and the keto movement? How has it caught on to you know, that, that age group of, let's say, post-college age and, and still in their 20s? Um, I, I think it's such a good thing to have happen. I know that it's becoming a little bit more trendy, the keto diet, and I'm glad it is because I feel like it's something that we can all benefit from, especially if you're an athlete and even if you're dealing with explosive stuff. Um, like I said, all together, it's just really, really helped my joints, and that was the most important thing for me besides, obviously, healing my brain. And I just really hope that it continues to catch on for people so that they can sort of understand that this is actually the way that we're supposed to be eating and not like a super high-carb diet that we were trained to love and to eat. Because like I said, there's been so many times where I would tell people that I was starting the keto diet and they'd say something like, oh, but you need carbs. Your body needs carbs as an athlete. And um, while there's a certain amount that I definitely need to have, it's not it's – not, uh, make it or break it for me. Like I definitely feel better in a fasted state when I train now and just, yeah, having those fats and this low carb, it's just, it's improved my performance so much. And I really, really hope that more people can understand that and that it's not necessarily like a high carb diet, which is so not good for us in this generation. So I'm hoping that people sort of understand that. Right on. Well, thanks for spreading the word. And I appreciate you uh, coming on here to tell your story. Very, very interesting Best of luck with your parkour and your stunt performances. We'll we'll keep a lookout for you, right? Uh, if we're watching a show or something. <laughs> Thank you so much. Never know, never know when you're going to appear out of the corner of the screen and and run into. So if if we see a, a burning uh, person jumping into a pool, 
<laughs> we could say that we uh, we heard her on the on the podcast. Definitely. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Brad, for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, Sydney, where do we find that that awesome video? I guess that's your um, your promo video. Or uh, do you have a, a following on social media where we can check in on what you're doing? Yeah. Um, so you can either follow me on Instagram. I ha- it's what is it at Sydney Olson one. And then if you also wanted to look me up on YouTube, it's just youtube.com slash Sydney stunts. Sydney stunts. Love it. S Y D N E Y. Correct. Yes. Sydney Olson on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're, we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table. It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the Primal Kitchen Wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. Which <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too perfect. It's so, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my gosh. So she likes like the mayo on a Oh yeah, she, so, she loves those. So we love them as well. We have, uh, we, we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo, we eat the balsamic, we eat the, the ranch, um, the avocado oil we use all the time. And, and so, you know, that's completely genuine. And I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish Balance Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch Dressing if you want. And uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're, they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> That's my pleasure.